This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, I wanted to do a fun surprise and do this 200th Q&A episode live um, mostly just for fun and also in hopes that people could laugh at how badly I fumble through these things without multiple takes to get it right. Uh, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I could just go through a lot of these in one take and I don't even realize that I did it. And other times I just can't get my brain right. And I don't know what day today is going to be. This is all going to be very live and very real. And <laughs> I expect a whole bunch of mistakes. Um, the only thing that I would like to say is I am going to be... Um, I'm going to be answering questions that were already asked just like normal, and then I'm going to be taking any kind of questions in the chat. I will be paying attention to the chat, so if I majorly mess something up, or like I do in all of these Q&As, if, if I'm like, oh, you know, I got to defer to the, you know, the community for this one, maybe the community would be right here to answer the questions. We'll see, but... Uh, so if anybody who is hanging out in the chat wouldn't mind, I'm sure there's going to be people who ask questions who wonder why I'm ignoring them. If you wouldn't mind just letting everybody know this isn't pre-recorded, you know, I, I, I really am just trying to do this legit. So anyway, before I begin, thank you to everybody who supported over the past couple of years. It's been a very crazy ride and a very fun and positive one as well. So this is absolutely awesome. Stringer Films, thank you so much for the shout-out. That's really nice. I appreciate the super chat. Um, so let's jump in like normal. And uh, I don't have my usual OBS setup, so I'm going to do this manually, where now I will step to the side <laughs> instead of recentering. So let's uh, let's go through and, uh, and, and just start asking, I guess. So asking. Start reading. Here we go. First mistake of the day. So, Shurjur wanted to chime in on the 3D TV topic, which is a topic we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks that, to be perfectly honest, I am really happy that people are as excited about this as me. Because, yes, there's a lot of crap 3D out there, but there's also a lot of crap movies and a lot of crap games. So, if you look at it that way, the good ones really do stand out. Uh, so, I'm going to read through. Shurjur said, I wanted to chime in on the 3D TV topic. Most of the LG TVs that support passive 3D also supported a feature called dual play, where TV splits the screen, then stretches each half to fill the whole screen with her own 3D polarity. Then you could buy dual play glasses that only had one of the polarities in them. They have a demo of this taken to the extreme on their YouTube channel. I uh, hope you don't mind me sharing this here. No, of course not. Uh, where they hook up two separate Xboxes to a scaler each, then a picture-in-picture -picture viewer get to get both inputs to the TV. And with that setup, they played Halo 4 versus 4 on one screen, each team with their own 3D polarity. That's cool as hell. Um, I still have never messed with any of that, and uh, just respectfully, I, I don't know if I ever will get around to it. I have an, a never-ending list of projects that I want to do, um, so i got to stick with the ones that, um, you know... The, that would actually make a difference in my workflow or the videos I do or whatever else. But I will definitely check out your video after this because, you know, in fact, let me just throw a little uh, preview of it here for everybody. Because I am, as a nerd, of course, I'm curious how this works. But, 
Nope, that is not the uh, that is not the correct copy paste. Here we go. Copy paste. Uh, oh wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, so that's uh, that's an interesting setup. You got your two scalers. You're going through the LG TV. That's pretty cool. I like that. That's that's really neat. And you can see because I'm not wearing, or we're all not wearing polarized glasses. Ah, there you go. Shorzer already did it for us. Look at that. Now I'm very glad that I, I showed this up here. This is perfect. Uh, Mike wants to know if it's too late to ask a question on Floatplane. No, I'm going to refresh all the pages before I'm done. And then I'm going to go to the chat to see if anybody here on YouTube, regardless if you're a supporter or not, uh, I'll just kind of hang out as long as I can. Um, I did have something I sort of wanted to jump on at three, but if we're having a bunch of fun and we're still going, I, uh, I will keep going. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. Sure. Sure. That was pretty freaking cool. Um, uh, and I guess, uh, I don't know how I'm going to do timestamps for this one. So I'm, I don't, I just don't think I'm, I am, I think I'm going to go and just kind of go through this real time, but Hey, if somebody wants to, to take, take accounting, sure. I'll, I'll update it afterwards. Uh, Next up, Monty Green said, one thing to note with the PS2 SATA adapters from Amazon, specifically search for one that wasn't made by Bitfucks, and the one they ordered and received still had Bitfucking branding, despite the product photos having no such thing. <laughs> Mother Bitfuckers. <laughs> that reminds me. I have a negative review to leave on Amazon. That's pretty funny, Monty. Um, you know... Uh, I, I have not been holding back on my thoughts about those companies, especially after they tried coming after me. Uh, and Nick and I did that live stream podcast about it. They're terrible. And I do really wish that somebody would figure out where these PS2 SATA adapters came from, or if it's as simple an idea as this is a generic SATA to IDE chip with a board that's meant to be the same size as the one in the PS2. If that's the case, I would really love for members of the retro gaming community to put that up there, put up, uh, you know, on GitHub, make their own design and make something so we could all just actually it would be really cool if we could put together like an Octopart bill of materials and everything so we could have something that you just uh, put it up on Easy EDA and LCDC. I'm probably I'm probably getting that wrong. If T's watching, he's going to be face palming at the moment but that way you could basically just push a button and have a made right from jlc pcb who is not sponsoring this q a but they've been really cool so i don't don't mind dropping their name because even if they did drop me as a sponsor i still use them so <laughs> that's all good um okay lcsc thank you see this is a, a very big advantage of doing this live the disadvantage is i uh i can't go back and delete all the fucks i just threw into that answer but you know it happens sometimes uh, and also just for anybody in the chat um you know i will be coming back to this after we're done uh so just please don't think i'm ignoring you i just want to get the the, the patreon float plane kofi and youtube supporters first and then everybody else is welcome to hang out uh, and if anybody's in the chat you wouldn't mind reminding people for me politely, please. Next up, Plutonio. I'm curious about splitting analog video signals. Is using the video out from professional grade monitors the same as using a classic Y splitter? No. I'll finish reading your question, though. Plutonio knows composite S video or RGB video outputs on PVMs had the function of outputting the same image to many monitors, but they were wondering if it was safe to do so when the input was coming from a console. 
it's cool to view the same video output on different monitors. Yeah, yeah, yes it is. <laughs> uh, but I'm afraid it could cause excessive stress on my consoles. So that is a very good concern to have. And this is something I would love to do a deep dive with people who are smarter than me to explain this. But what I've been told is that the circuitry inside of these monitors takes care of this for you. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why, and I'm not exactly sure how it does it automatically, but I will give one example that makes it easier to visualize. On a lot of BVMs, I'm looking here because I got my little one right there, uh, a lot of BVMs, when you put RGBS in or composite in or S-video in, you have to have 75 ohm termination on the outs, otherwise the image is way too bright. So that immediately explains why that is able to be done because you're daisy chaining them all together and then there's no termination inside the BVM, you have to do it manually, which is what allows you to string the signal on. I think the problem, this is 100% speculation and a really big risk of doing this live, I think the problem is the termination and the uh, how much of the signal is pulled down when it's being sent through. So. Uh, it's one of those things that I would love to do a deep dive on, but I, in every case that I've seen, to answer your question, if you have something like a Sony PVM with RGB and composite in and out next to each other, it should be completely safe to use them. The one thing I will add is I've I had many monitors where the inputs work perfect, but as soon as you plug in the outputs, red stops working. And you go, what the heck? And you wiggle all the cables and, you know, you take it all apart and then you leave only the inputs, it goes back to normal. You plug in the outputs, and it's fine. But then you go to do it a week later, and you lose red or you lose green. So I think maybe the insides of these are just getting dusty and kind of finicky. So if you have any issues, don't freak out. I would absolutely just kind of, um, you know, roll with it and understand that this is older equipment, even though it is expensive pro equipment. So uh, great question, but um, the direct answer... Is using the video out from professional grade monitors the same as using a classic Y splitter? No, that should be safe to do. And just to throw this in, uh, maybe it's ego, whatever, uh, using a Y cable to combine left and right to go to your PVM's audio input is perfectly safe. I've had so many people lose their minds in the comments telling me that they, I am telling people to destroy their PVM's because of this. Not true. If you hooked up a Y cable with your audio, combined left and right, and plugged it into your PVM and it stopped working, it was already dead and static electricity probably got it, you know, the last batch. That was, you know, you could potentially lose audio quality, which is fair, but if you're listening through a PVM speaker, audio quality is not your focus. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that at all, and I also wouldn't worry about splitting the audio signal with a Y cable. Once again, you could have some audio drop in quality, but you're not going to harm anything, which is why I'm perfectly comfortable to telling people to do that. And go back and listen to the video I did with Steve. He did this whole thing at the end where he explained it. We showed the examples on an oscilloscope, so that's totally cool. Um, next up, Carlos Moreau. They just received an Indigo Game Boy player, but the front and side of it is super discolored to the point where it looks almost black. What's the best way to restore the color? And should they take the electronics apart from the plastic to protect them? So I could definitely answer one part of this, and then I am not an expert in the other half. When you're working on stuff like this, I would absolutely take the electronics out, and then I would just start 
by putting it in a sink following my not the electronics the plastic following the silly video i've had up on youtube for a million years now where you basically use goo gone which is non uh you know it's not abrasive but it does get a lot of funk off and you use a soft plastic bristle bristled brush i can't tell you how many comments i got on that video like you know you're destroying your consoles no you could rub your face with it it's not scratchy but it does it is it's not like a paintbrush. It is a little bit more coarse to get into those little nooks and crannies. So I would scrub it with Goo Gone. Then I would scrub it with dish detergent, mostly to get the gross feel that the Goo Gone leaves off of that. And then I would, uh, if you have compressed air of any sorts, definitely do that. If not, tap it out so no water droplets sit in. And then I would leave it in the sun to dry for a few minutes. None of that crap where you leave it in direct sunlight in the desert in Australia for a week and watch it melt into a ball and then say, look, I've retrovited with my son. Uh, just leave it to dry out and see what happens. If you see a noticeable difference, then it could be discolorations from any kind of chemicals, some oils that got on it. If there's no difference at all, then you have to worry about some kind of plastic restoration, retro brighting. And those are the things that whenever it is that you, uh, that you do that, really do some research and do not let subscriber count and view count show you what to do. That is a huge YouTube thing. Just because somebody's got a million subs and shows you how to retrobrite does not mean they actually know what they're doing. They just mean they're good at putting a video together. So um, Rourke, well, I was on a stream with him last week. He mentioned heavily diluting that salon care, and not just putting it right on, submerging it in water with that in there and leaving it in the sun for like an hour, maybe, and seeing what happens there. Because generally when you do that, worst comes to worst, nothing happens, which... When it comes to preservation and stuff like this, having nothing happen is totally fine in my opinion. You waste some time, a tiny little bit of money on cleaner, whatever. So, uh, But I don't really know how much farther to go from there, and I would definitely rather defer to plastics experts, actual experts, people who have used these kind of chemicals before, and, uh, and anything else. Um, Ryan, Castlemania, Ryan's in the chat, said... He always wanted to try hydro dipping for that sort of thing. Yeah, um, that's kind of neat. I would love to try that too. Eat Nam said it might have been that the face was in direct sunlight and the rest of it wasn't. Indigo GameCubes do discolor. Yeah, that's also a very good point. Um, so yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Um, Daniel Black is guessing that it could be an issue of there's not enough current... Uh, oh, that was the other question. Sorry, sorry, sorry. See, live. Also... I'm drinking a Coca-Cola Starlight. It's gross. I figured I would try a new flavor, get a little caffeine in here, but it apparently is space-flavored. This Q&A, not sponsored by Starlight Coca-Cola. Kind of gross. Um, okay, moving on to the next question. Wyrock. They have a question about 1440p compatibility, specifically in regards to the RetroTank 5X. So up to now, they've mostly used either 1080p when they're streaming or 1200p when they're playing just by themselves on their main TV, since their 4K TV did not accept 1440p. However, they're going to be getting a new TV from a family member that will accept 1440p that they've already tested. However, they don't know if all the current electronics in their setup would accept the signal. Their goal is to add a new splitter so that for 1440p, they could simply switch their TV input to the retro tank, but for 1080p, it'll still all go through the same setup for streaming. 
What's a good way to tell if the AV equipment I'm buying will work with 1440p? Is it the same deal with televisions where some 4K stuff will work and others won't? Uh, also, what do I recommend in regard to three-way and up HDMI splitters? Looking for more than just two so they could also have one output used for downscaling. So there's a bunch of questions there. I'll answer the easiest one first, because um, I'm cheesy like that. Look for HDMI matrix switchers. You'll probably find that buying... Uh, I was about to grab it. Oh yeah, right here. You might find that buying a couple of these to split the signal is actually cheaper than buying an HDMI matrix switch. It's a lot more wires. Um, it's ugly, but it could be infinitely cheaper. But if you want the answer to that question, then yeah, you got to just buy a matrix switch. Now, as far as 1440p goes, the compatibility should be fine with devices like this. And I don't know um, how far into the specs 1440p goes. It's obviously not as popular as 1080p would be, but things like splitters, audio extractors, and all the other things I've used, um, H uh, HDMI to DisplayPort converters, they all seem to have worked when I passed 1440p through. And in fact, the only resolutions that I sometimes had issues with were more of the, uh, I believe, CEA resolutions, so PC resolutions, 1280 by 960. Unfortunately, though, when you're talking about retro game consoles, which have refresh rates that never adhered to a specification, the only way to really figure it out is to test it yourself. So um, I would suggest buying stuff either that other people in the gaming community have tested and have reported back, or buy from bigger companies that don't have problems with returns, or buy from smaller companies that would be willing to work with you on this to understand what the heck you're trying to do with a 1440p signal. But unfortunately, you're really just going to have to give it a shot and see. Um, and, and it's kind of up to you what resolution you want to run at. I still prefer 1080p 5x most of the time because it fills up more of the screen and uh, it doesn't cut off anything that I would miss. But with those um, uh, CRT filters and stuff, I think 1440p could definitely be a big upgrade for some people. So I would just give it a shot and see what you think uh, and then just maybe buy one component at a time so you don't waste money and have to troubleshoot 20 things at once. Uh, Stringer Films, thanks very much for the uh, the super chat. Uh, Stringer also on the previous question about the Game Boy Player salon stuff in a foiled lined box with a black light. I think it has to be a UV specific black light. But thank you for the super chat and the shout out. Uh, next, which one was I on? Okay, Fabian Schneider. They've been wondering, would it be difficult to create a, a device that blocks resolution above a certain kilohertz value, which would be great when connecting PCs to CRTs? They chalked it up to, it doesn't exist, probably because uh, nobody needs it before, but hearing Calamity talk about how Windows fights you at every turn when using vintage resolutions, they thought they'd pick my brain on it. So that's a really great question. Um... I think you nailed it. I think the reason nobody did that is because no one's really needed it before. And I think going through certain downscalers and stuff like that might be the answer that already exists. So if you have a GBS control and you're going VGA uh, 480p down, you should be able to mess with that. So it downscales 480p and then when it switches over to 240p, it just passes the signal through. Um, so that could be be something that uh that would be a solution for it 
And I think that's a pretty cheap solution too, because building your own, if, if you have the ability to, building your own GBS control is less than 50 bucks. And I think if people were to de design a device like this from scratch, it would probably be an FPGA-based device and that would have to auto-detect. So right off the bat, you're talking about a $100 device. So uh, I, I really do like this idea. Um, I just, I, I think having a combined device might actually be an overall easier solution and more cost effective. I do have this odd obsession of, of owning devices that could do more than one thing, even though it's often much cheaper and, and, and just easier overall to have multiple devices. So maybe that's coming through right now, but you know, I think something like that might be a, a little bit easier. Um, but you know, if anybody in the chat knows anything, definitely, you know, post up right now or, or I'll add it later on. But yeah, that's um, that's a pretty good question, and I think protection circuits for CRTs would definitely be helpful. Um, but that's once again one of those things where if you know that you're going to be booting that PC and the BIOS screen's always in 480p, and then when it hits the OS, it's down to 15 kilohertz. If you know you're going to continuously do that, I would either want to get into a workflow where you turn on your PC first. Uh, and then, uh, or try to figure out some other solution for it. Flash your graphics card with, I believe it's the Atom BIOS that forces 15 kilohertz. So I, I think constant sending the wrong resolution could do some damage. And I, you know, I wouldn't bet on this, but my gut's telling me if you have a monitor that seems to be okay and you accidentally once send it 480p and it stops working, that's probably not really what killed it. It was probably just the straw that broke the camel's back. So, you know, I've done it a million times before and all of my monitors are still working, but that's exactly like saying I've been smoking for a thousand years and I'm still not dead. So, you know, smoking doesn't hurt people. But obviously, you know, don't take that one to heart. But uh, I do think using an existing downscaler like the GBS control would probably be a good way to do this. Or I guess if you could find an Extron device, but those are, are really expensive. Okay, over to Adam W. Uh, hey, Bob, wanted to offer my take on last week's question of what does pixel perfect mean in certain context. They usually associate that term with any game image that has evenly nearest neighbor integer scaled pixels, often from an emulator, but also from a scaler that does optimal samplings. In contrast, anytime there's been interpolations or smoothing, it's no longer perfect pixels, even if it might be a lot closer to the original experienced video out originally experienced video output. The NES, SNES Mini Classic consoles, for example, have a pixel perfect mode, Nintendo literally calls it that, that displays the games at an 8x7 aspect ratio in contrast to a 4x3 mode, which requires horizontal interpolation. So, yeah, um, absolutely agree that that could be how some people interpret it, and that might even be the definition of it that might even be how it's supposed to be um, for me personally. And I, I, in fact, now that you say that, I, I think I've seen a lot of people refer to it that way, but when my brain here is pixel perfect, I, I hear an unaltered image that is properly scaled to the exact way that it should. But I think you might be right. I think that might actually have been the correct definition to that. So uh, for whoever asked the question last week, I may have gotten that one wrong, but that also kind of brings up an interesting thing of people who grew up playing games on emulators really might have seen it at that eight by seven aspect ratio their entire lives. And when they play it on a CRT or through a scaler that presents it correctly, they might go, 
this is weird. Why does it look like this? So at the end of the day, perfect pixels are the ones that uh, are the ones that come at you with no lag and are pretty sharp and make you happy when you play the game. That, that That's probably what it should be. But I think as far as that question goes, I, I'm pretty sure you're right. Um, but I do hope we kind of expand our definitions of what we call, you know, perfect anything. Because what's perfect to somebody who grew up playing on CRTs is going to be different than what's perfect to people who grew up on emulation versus people who grew up playing on their cell phones. All right, over to Cam. They just picked up a beautiful front loader NES and would love to RGB mod it. Are there any available no-cut mods for the NES? Even if there are, should I hold out for something amazing on the horizon? Um, yes, I'm going to address the second one first because that's easier. And I'm cheesing out on this today. So my opinion on holding out for something on the horizon is almost never do that, especially when we're in a global part shortage because something on the horizon could suddenly turn into late 2023. The only time I would say that is when Mike was like, Hey, the Retro Tank 5X is, you know, releasing next week. It has motion adaptive deinterlacing and your favorite consoles, the PS2. Yeah, don't buy the 2X Pro, buy the 5X. But unless you know for a fact there's a solid release date and it's from a company that has done this before and has a track record of hitting their release dates, I would never wait for anything. But there are no cut mods available for the front loading NES. And in fact, Jose is working on one for me right now. The Real Phoenix has a board that replaces the RF board. And I got to start by saying it is a giant pain in the ass to remove that. You're going to need uh, some kind of heat guns, hot air rework station. You need to be very careful because if you do it wrong, you could melt and warp the circuit boards. But if you get that original RF box out, this accomplishes many things. First of all, I, I have not modded nearly as many consoles as all of my friends have. However... I do see most of the time the NES has caps that are fine. They probably could need replacing, but they're not really leaking. They're pro you know, they're usually in a state where you could probably get more life and better performance if you replaced them, but you don't need to, except in that RF box. If you pop off the top of that, there's usually one giant capacitor that is leaked all over, which means eventually it'll stop working because the power circuit's in there. It's eventually going to be completely unfixable. And if you do want to play via RF, which, by the way, if you have a really nice CRT and you live out in the burbs and it only has an RF input, it's a perfectly good way to experience it, but it's not going to work anymore. So using the real Phoenixes will take care of that with the new power circuit. It, you don't have to worry about taking that whole thing apart to replace the capacitor. And it has a jack where the RF output was that allows a Genesis 2 styled in so mini din so you could do the entire nes rgb mod tie it into this and it's completely no cut and you use genesis 2 cables which also means you could use genesis 2 hd retrovision genesis 2 rad 2x or whatever else is, is out with that so i would strongly strongly recommend that um it, i the real phoenix is in the chat do you have stock of those my friend would you be able to let us know because i also may have lost the one i bought from you <laughs> So I might have to buy another one anyway. Uh, but Jose is working on a, a pretty badass NES for me. Completely recapped. Um, and I asked him to recap the RF box so I could throw it in a, a box somewhere in case I ever need it to. It's going to have the real Phoenix's board in it. Uh, and it's also 
by the time I show it on camera, a little sneak preview here, it's going to have the completely clear Retro Game Restore shell. So this thing is going to be both a functional masterpiece and a work of art. And that's, that's only because of Jose. I certainly couldn't do it and make it look pretty. So, uh, so yeah, that is definitely what I would recommend. Now, the only thing that I have not tested yet is, and, uh, and the real Phoenix, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that used a switching regulator, a DC to DC regulator that does not require a heatsink. But whenever I've used those, sometimes it adds diagonal interference. Sometimes it does not. It doesn't hurt anything. You're not causing any problems. It's totally safe to just try. But if you power on your NES and there's just diagonal interference going across the screen, then you might want to replace that with a different one. The problem is the different ones are like 15 bucks now or something like that. Maybe they went back down in price, but the last time I checked, they were really expensive. So I do completely agree. Like install it as is and kind of go from there and see. Maybe try it on a bench top before you put it back in your case. Uh, see what happens. If you don't get any interference at all, you're done. And if you do, then you're going to have to order that other power regulator or try to use a, a 7805 and get yourself a different heat sink. You'll have to figure out some other way around that. So until we kind of get a better idea of what's the best workflow, you're still going to do a little bit of experimenting, but I, I personally think it's totally worth it. And just a, a weird little aside, Years ago, when uh, I th it might have been Bordy, I could be wrong, but somebody first recommended those uh, little voltage regulators without a heat sink, and I put it in my SNES Mini, and it was perfect. And in fact, I did uh, Wes from Second Opinion Games, I did one for him with that. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to get a bunch of people say, hey, you know, you threw a picture of that on your website. Uh, that's bad. You get diagonal interference. You shouldn't do that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I had, I've done a bunch. And sure enough, it just coincidentally, the ones that I had tested didn't have the issue. And then the next one that I tried, like, well, let me see what these people are talking about. It absolutely did have the interference. So it's hit or miss, but it will not harm anything, which is, I think, the most important part here. A uh, couple from Oliver Clare. Uh, first, a follow-up on the 3D projector question from last week. Um, the projector looks awesome, and that would probably be their ideal solution, but realistically, the projector screen isn't going to replace their main display. They're only going to use it for the occasional 3D gaming, so they've looking for, been looking for something a bit lower end. Totally fair. Weirdly, they found it easier to get good local prices on 3D projectors that natively output 1080p and even 4K compared to the ones that natively output 720p. Yeah, I think I think that's just, um, you know, whichever one's more common. Uh, and I don't remember the 720p's being that common. But anyway, bearing in mind that TVs, uh, t the TV's built-in upscalers can sometimes be not the best, they were wondering if this would potentially be a problem in terms of image quality or input lag. The scenario would be an Xbox 360 or PS3 outputting 720 via HDMI and letting the projector do the upscaling to 1080p or 4K. So, a couple things in that. Um, first of all, there won't be an input lag difference, and there's going to be a video out tomorrow to prove this. Uh, I wanted to squash the myth that if you don't run a panel at its native resolution, 
then it changes the lag. And that's really not true with some caveats. It's all in the video. Stay tuned. There's not a day or so for that. So that's not an issue. What might be an issue is I don't think I've ever been able to force my PlayStation 3 into 720p 3D mode. You might need some kind of edid spoofer for that. And I just, I don't know why. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'm plugging things in in the wrong order. I don't know, but that might be an issue. So you would have to buy some kind of edid spoofer that says the device that you're plugging this into is only 720p, but 3D. As far as the built-in upscalers uh, not being the best, would, I, would you see a, a difference in image quality? I think when you're talking about using a projector, I don't think you're really going to be seeing that much of a difference because you're still projecting it to a same size screen, um, you're still going to have the downsides of a projector, you know, compared to like an OLED TV or something. So I don't think it's something I would worry about. I would completely put it out of your mind unless, I mean, unless it's a big difference. I don't think it's that common, but like, for example, uh, I've tested the RetroTINK products on like every TV that I've come across. And yeah, of course, 480p on a native 1080p or 4k panel is not going to look as sharp but I've only seen one or two displays where I plug it in and go, oh, that looks terrible. So, and they're actually computer monitors that really weren't designed to scale at all. So you might run into that, but I don't think so. I think most of the, you'd be pretty safe with it. So pick up whatever's the cheapest projector you got, or you could possibly find, start gaming and make your decision then. Sorry, I don't mean to tell you what to do, but if I were you, I would pick up the cheapest projector I could find, just plug it all in and make your decision after that. Just taking a break here. Uh, the Real Phoenix wanted to chime in from before. Um, they're working on uh, on updating that to to work on a different power circuit. And yeah, I'll probably uh, I'll probably let you know after this uh, if I lost it. I think the problem is for about a year straight. Every time I saw Jose, I would walk into Brooklyn Video Games with a massive box like, "Hey, dude, uh, I'll pay for your Uber home, but." here's all the stuff I'm hiring you to do this month. So I think it was probably in one of those boxes and got lost. Uh, I know the, the volume is going to be an issue with this live. Sorry. I think I might re-upload it later on as a processed audio. It's because I'm using my boom mic over here. So yeah, that's why it's probably going to be a little quieter. If I turn it up, it'll start clipping. So sorry, but, uh, uh, whoever listens to the audio only version of this, or maybe you are listening to the audio only version of this sometime in the future, um, that'll all be processed. So don't worry about that. Uh, another one from Oliver. They're finally giving their GameCube, uh, some long overdue attention. It's a PAL model, uh, the doll 001, and it has the digital AV port as well as two serial ports and the high speed port on the bottom. Two questions on it. One, they're hoping to get it to dual output to a consumer grade CRT, which can accept both NTSC and PAL via composite or SCART, and outputs 240p and 480i, as well as a modern 4K TV via the RetroTINK 5X. They were wondering what options would be the best for that particular scenario in terms of mods and or cables. Bearing in mind, they'll probably be using the Game Boy Player with it also. They have a couple of Super G switches, so it wouldn't be depending on the GameCube itself for dual output. So that's kind of, because you said Game Boy Player, that's going to be a much easier solution to work with. Uh, the, I guess I'll flip it around and say what would not work 
What would not work is if you had a 15 kilohertz only TV, regardless of NTSC or PAL, and you wanted an HDMI adapter that outputs native 480p. You can't run the games in dual modes like that. You would have to only run the games in 15 kilohertz and then let the HDMI adapter either pass through 480i or scale it to 480p. So you would not really get the best of both worlds in that scenario. But the scenario you're discussing, absolutely. Because if you're running Game Boy Player most of the time, then that's going to be the 240p signal that you output, which will look great on your CRTs. And then going to the Tink 5X, you could use that special mode that Mike put in that allows you to... Uh, I'm not sure if that mode will work in this scenario, but it doesn't matter. You can pump it through the Tink 5X, scale it to your flat panel any way you'd like, and that would work totally fine. So... I would possibly look into, I know Retrobit has those component cables that should be out any, I think next month or something. So looking into doing that, you could do composite or RGB out of the analog output, component out of the digital outputs into the RetroTank 5X. And I think that would be by far the easiest solution. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you needed something today, I would say get the Retrobit HDMI adapter and then a cheap HDMI to component converter and do the same exact thing. Uh, second question for game launching, they'd normally prefer to avoid an optical drive emulator that replaces the disc drive. But in this case, the GC loader and Swiss sounds like a great combination. Then they found out about the SD to SP2, which could be used in the second serial port. Looking at the price of it, it just sounds too good to be true. Are there any disadvantages of going with the SD to SP2 compared to the GC loader? Um, not really. I mean, it's going to be faster going through the GC loader. There's a couple of other things that it might be able to do that. But as far as just general performance goes, I think what might be the best idea for you would be to start with the SD to SP2 and anything, an action replay, um, that uh, car that Castlemania is selling, which you could make one yourself if you'd like to, but you know, one of those memory cards that uses an exploit, I would absolutely start with that and see. Because you could go through compatibility lists, you could listen to people who are having all the issues, and maybe that's an easy one for you, but because of the cost of that, which is very cheap, I would, especially if you have a game that allows you to launch those exploits, I would start that way and kind of just see what you think. If all the games in Homebrew you want to use work perfectly, that's your solution and you get to keep the original optical drive. If your drive starts dying, if the games you want to use don't really work that well, then yeah, move over to the GC loader. But, you know, normally I'm not comfortable telling people to buy two things because I, I try to be respectful of everybody's budget. <laughs> I know I try to be respectful of my budget. But in this scenario, an SD to SP2 could also end up being a tool that you use. And there's just so many different things that for the 20 bucks or whatever, you might just want to pay it have it and it might end up being your cheap and total solution um all right so i'm going to refresh all of the pages from all of the support services and see if anybody added any questions and then i'm going to turn it over to the youtube chat all right nothing on kofi nothing on that mike mike has one all right there are a couple more all right all right all right so let me uh let me finish up on patreon here on the For Chris, Chris Fratz, on the topic of the 3D TV thing, there's one somewhat recent game that they've played that has 3D support on the PC version, Jeff Minter's Polybius. It has multiple buttons to start the game in various modes like VR or 3D. 
Um, they also recommend the game as it's really good and it's only eight bucks. I know Chris is really into VR, so if Chris has a you know a VR game recommendation, I definitely think it's worth people's time. So uh, check out Jeff Minter's Polybius for the PC. Also, Andrew Fiore, trying to catch you live. Congratulations on 200 episodes. Uh, thank you very much, Andrew. They're eyeing an auction of about 20 professional monitors that are listed in California, but I'm in New England. Have you or anyone you know ever successfully moved that many tubes that far of a difference, or would it be better to pass on the purchase given the headache and cost? Um, no, uh, I, I don't think you should pass on it. I think you should seriously consider it and weigh all options. Now, the last time I tried to do something like this, I used a company, and I please don't quote me on this, but it might have been U-Ship or something. I, I don't really remember, but it was basically a company that is hired to do exactly this. Hey, I have five really fragile things that I need to transport, and they show up, and they put it on a pallet, and they wrap it and stuff, and it stays on that pallet and on that truck, and it eventually makes its way to you, and it's not cheap but if you got yourself a pallet of like brand new 20 professional monitors it's going to cost less than just one of those monitors so it's my strong opinion that it is worth your time to research now with everything going on with you know the availability of trucks with gas prices maybe it's going to be 10 grand to do that but i think it was like 1500 bucks the last time i checked five years ago um, and it was a lot of stuff. It was, I'm not talking about picking up one CRT for 1500 bucks. It was a very heavy and very big load and they were great. Everybody was cool as hell. So, um, yeah, it's definitely my suggestion is look into services like that and you might still just say, Hey, it's not for me. And that's totally cool, but I do think it's worth your time. All right. Over on float plane, Mike ninja question for live. They're having a hard time figuring out which IO board they should be using on the mister. As they understand, they only need the analog board if they want both analog and digital output at once, but they might lose their ability to have a second RAM module if that's ever needed. Is there much reason to grab the IO board if the output isn't necessary? So that's an interesting question. Um, for me, you know, I'm working on a, a very basic, quick Mr. Getting Started video. And my suggestion to that is going to be start with direct video and less. The big and less is you need component video. Because right now, if you need VGA out, to, you know, direct to a VGA monitor, or if you have an RGB monitor and you're going to be using VGA to BNC or VGA to SCART via that HD15 to SCART, if Ryan's still in the chat, we need those, Ryan. There was the VGA port shortage. But anyway, that I think that's the best way to go about now. Because if you end up not using it and you say, okay, I'm going to go back to using the IO board because I want separate dual outputs, then your investment is pretty low. And that's a, those are some tools that you could use for like 10 other things. So unless you have no desire to mess with any other video electronics at all, that's a tool that you will be using at some point in the future. And that's also a tool that you're going to go, you, every time you open your drawer, you'll go, why did I spend the 20 bucks on this? And one day it'll be there glowing and you'll be like, yes, this solved the problem. And I already have it. I do that all the time with some of the junk that I have. If you do need component video output, you're kind of stuck using the, the um, IO board at the moment. There are other solutions, there's stuff coming, but I don't really, I'm not really a big fan of the rest of them. Um, you could look into direct video, so HDMI out and a custom cable to make it component, but 
uh, at the, with no second RAM module needed now, I would say if you need component video, stick it to that, uh, you know, stick to the IO board. Um, the only other thing I wanted to address is if your goal is you want to have like a 4K or 1080p or 1440p flat panel monitor hooked up, and you also want to have your CRT hooked up, then you need true dual output. You're going to want to set different resolutions for that TV. And then, you know, when you're in the mood to game on a CRT, you could play on that one or vice versa. However, if the reason you're asking about dual output is because you want to stream your games, you could still do that with direct video. Most capture cards that I've messed with would be able to figure it out. You'll just end up with something that's like a 1920 by 240 signal. So then you fire up OBS, you set the scaling to point, and then you scale 240 to 1080, and there you go. Now you still have dual output that's compatible with the CRT and your capture card, but you wouldn't be able to send that to a TV. It would look all crazy, or the width would look fine, but it would scale vertically soft, so it just that's probably not going to work for you. But you could absolutely pull off dual output in that scenario. Um, all right, we're good. With Floatplane, I think we're good with Patreon now. Yeah, all right. So let's uh, let me center myself again and let's check out the chat and and see if there's any questions, anything anybody wants to talk about. Um, I am blown away that I got through that without making any horrible mistakes. Because uh, when I was shooting the just the basic podcast this week on Tuesday, it was like two and a half hours. I just couldn't get my answers out maybe the pressure of doing it live forced my brain into the mode so maybe i should always do these live probably not i'd get myself in trouble there are a few times i mouthed off a few times and i was like you know i'm gonna delete that one and have a nicer answer not mouthed off to the person asking the question by the way never that just usually ranting on a topic or something so uh i'm gonna give people in the chat time to come up with any questions they might have uh, I'm going to take a sip of this very terrible Starlight Coca-Cola and see what we got. Let me see. Maybe there were some previous questions I missed. Rhett Vance, how did I come up with my video intro music? Um... So I was in a band a while back. My friend Frank uh, asked me to join right as I was about to quit playing because I just didn't do anything with it. I was never able to, you know, to do, make any of that stuff work. Oddly enough, I like graduated high school, went, started going to tech school and landed a very good IT job. And, and then after all of that, ended up going back, starting a band, you know, starting retro RGB. So I did the opposite. I never really had the chance to be a kid that tried going to be in a band or something. So when my friend Frank asked me to join his, I was like, yeah, all right, I could finally put, you know, 20 years of, of actually being good at something to work. And it was fun. Um, we had some nightmares with singers. Oh, that's a whole other podcast I could talk about. But one singer ended up becoming a pretty good friend. Uh, and we were trading songs back and forth for Frank's band. Like, oh, you know, here, let me try this new intro. Let me try that. And I clicked on her YouTube channel, like her private one that we, she was just using to send ideas back and forth. And I was like, what's all this other music? Because I clicked on it, which is a little nosy. I don't usually do that. And she had a song from when she was a kid that was uh, four chords with a really catchy vocal line. And like, hold on, let me see if I can... Uh... 
And I've heard stories, I've heard stories of people doing this before, but that was the only time in my entire life I'd ever heard, I'd ever had this happen, but it was basically just... And my brain just went... I had never had that happen before. And I basically just wrote the whole song up into the middle where it was that. Yeah, well, I'm out of practice and I can't hear the part anyway, but I basically wrote that and I couldn't figure out what to do there. I figured like, let me have a fun little part. Let me do a, go up, up a scale or anything. And I, I sent it to her and I was like, am I like, jerking myself off here and she's like no that's awesome so i practiced that part over and over and then i ended up that was like the middle riff on the song and it really pissed me off when i went to go visit renee and i was like hey let's do you know would you want to do the opening song together and he learned that riff in like 15 minutes he was like okay my hand goes this way it's the same notes i'm gonna play it backwards upside down with a dream theater math calculator in there or something but but yeah, so that that was uh that kind of just stuck and uh you know, I we wrote a whole bunch of other songs and I want to eventually finish them, but maybe I'm getting too old or something. I I, I hope not. I just got to find the time to finish it and now I have access to some pretty damn amazing mu musicians too. Not that they weren't. I'm just saying like at that time I knew like 10 people that I could rely on and now I know quite a few and that are all at a very high caliber. So Thank you for uh, forcing me to pick up the guitar again. That was like the fourth time in the past six months. And the last two were because of Maddie, because of uh, Zaman. So, okay, let me, uh, the guitar is being blocked by my mic. Yeah, I know. Can't really hear it. Sorry about that. Did my best, though. Um, let me scroll through. Uh, sorry for the pause. Uh, <laughs> Dunn Mansion, do you drink water? Yeah, constantly, nonstop, uh, which is why sometimes I just want something different. Or if I know I'm going to be on a podcast where I shouldn't be drinking four glasses of water because I'll have to pee every two minutes, I've been using those Nun tablets, N-U-U-N, that supposedly all the electrolytes of Gatorade without the sugar and calories and, and carbs, I don't know if they work or not, but the watermelon flavor tastes amazing. Steve from HD Retrovision told me about it, which is why so often in these interviews, you'll see me drinking like pink sludge. It actually tastes very good. So, um, David McKenna, uh, if, are you pleased that you moved? Oh man. Um, so I love this. Uh, I love that when I start a live stream or a project, it's not 45 minutes of setup followed by two hours of teardown. Um, and I love having, you know, a garage and a car again, but I miss the city a lot. And it's very strange to say this. I'm going to sound like a crazy person, um, but there absolutely is an energy to the city because, I mean, there are so many people and there's so much going on. When I every time I'd walk out on my porch, there was just never-ending white noise, and I'd heard people say that before. Oh, it's got an energy to it. All big cities have an energy, and I always kind of laughed at that until I moved away and went back, 
And then as soon as I stepped out of my car and I started walking around, I was like, why do I suddenly just feel awake and energized? And oh shit, that's what they were talking about. So uh, please, they moved. I, I could have never afforded to live in the city anyway. I just did it because it's kind of what we needed to do at the time and racked up a bunch of debt like like you have to do. But so I'm, I'm glad I moved, but I, I really, if I could have chosen, I would have like been able to win enough in the lottery to buy a place in the city and live there forever. And then have like a little house on the, uh, you know, house somewhere on the lake or something. Um, Zucurse, if it's gross, why are you still drinking it? Because I, I need the caffeine and because it's already in front of me and I don't want to pause and, and, uh, and go get something else. Adam, have a preference between PS2 with proper RGB cable setup versus backward compatible PS3 with HDMI on a flat panel. Uh, Adam, my apologies. I am not going to answer that question because someone we all know is working on the answer to that question right now. So any guess that I could fumble through is not going to be nearly as good as their side-by-side -side comparison video. That's probably a, a little while away, but I think that's going to be... Uh, I think that's going to be the true answer because you'll be able to see with your own eyes on equipment that's proper capture equipment and all that stuff. Um, but what I would say is that if you already own a backward compatible like a CECH A01 PS3 and you don't have a PS2, don't run out and get it just yet. Wait for the video. You should probably be fine. Um, Daniel Black, is there ever going to be a composite or S-video to RGB converter? A couple of people are working on them. Uh, part shortage kind of made that a problem and also new old stock. Uh, a lot of times it's not new old stock. It's pulled from working units. Um, the top is like shaved down and reprinted and then you get a tray of 50 and 35 of them work. And so that's a, a big issue. So there might be an open source design that pops up where you have to hunt down your own chips. There might be a scenario in which a pre-built board, like uh, go to JLC PCB, do their assembly. This is not sponsored by them. I really do just like them. Uh, have everything made, and then you find your own chip to put in its place. That, that could be it. Uh, but I, I, think, I think there's kind of a, a bunch of issues standing in that way. Um, turned Toast. Their N64 is the last console not on component or SCART, and it doesn't support the easy RGB mod. Do I think it's worth spending money on the fancy RGB mods, or should they just buy a Core U and be done with it? Uh, that is something you're going to have to answer yourself, but I will... I, I, let me just tell you what I would do if I were in your shoes. First of all, could you ever use the Core U on anything else? Uh, if so, then the answer is absolutely yes, because now you have a tool and a solution at the same time. Um, if not, if this would just be a single use thing, that's a really good question. Are you going totally to a flat panel or are you sometimes using analog video output? If you're only going to a flat panel, then look into the N64 digital, which is very expensive, uh, compared to like, let me just buy an S video cable, but you get a lot out of it. And if your target goal is that, and you're going to, I would much rather see somebody do that than the RGB mod because it skips the scalers. It skips everything else, but that's only in the scenario I said. So please, nobody take any of that out of context. I'm not saying forget the RGB mod. I'm not saying the N64D is the only way to go. I'm just talking about turn toasts uh, set up right now. So I would say if you have other 
analog video devices in there, like a monitor or something like that, you know, CRT projector, or whatever you got, then yeah, look into the core you, uh, but if you're going direct to HDMI, look for the HDMI mod. Um, okay. Uh, everybody was saying they couldn't hear the guitar part. That'd be really funny if, if I did that live, managed to pull off the riff without making a mistake after not playing guitar forever and no one could hear it. That's hysterical. What an asshole. Me, not you. Um, hi, Bob. What does it mean to terminate video signals to ground, often via use of a 75-ohm resistor? Doesn't that short out the signal? Why or why not? So I'm going to give the cheesy answer because I don't want to pretend like I'm an electronics genius. I'm not. I just know enough to be able to, to talk to the people who are. If you were to take a signal and stick it to ground directly, yes, you would short it out. And depending on the device, it could blow the device out. It could activate fault tolerance and turn the device off. But having a resistor, in, in this case, the 75-ohm resistor, would prevent the short. And it pulls down the power away from it by grounding it. So that's the best way I could probably describe it now. Uh, and why all video signals need 75 ohm termination, I think goes back to the spec requirements that were written, um, which were designed to accommodate the stuff that, you know, that all of the video industry used over the years. So I think just the best way to answer that is to cheese out and not try to go into too much detail because then three or four experts will jump up and be like, you're fucking up again, Bob. <laughs> that's, that's not what you, that's not how it works. But I think that's a pretty fair explanation. Um, and terminate means, I think the best way to visualize terminate is to complete the signal. So if you're plugging in composite video to the back of a CRT, it's already terminated on that board. The circuit has been completed on that board. But if you're going through like a D-series BVM, the signal is not complete. So you need to terminate and finish the signal, stop it at the end to allow the rest of it to flow through to the monitor. Uh... Adam, Adam, man, I had always thought your intro was a tribute to the Offsprings. The kids aren't all right. I've never heard that song. Uh, I've only heard a couple of Offspring songs. Fly Away, I think, was my favorite of theirs, but or Gone Away? I don't remember which one it was. There was one really good one, and then they had a couple of silly ones, but a couple of people in the comments over the past few months have posted links to things, and they're like, oh, I, you know... I always wondered where your uh, where your intro came uh, came from. It's clear that you just stole this. And I'm like, so I didn't steal shit. <laughs> and I've never even seen that. Somebody posted like an obscure Japanese video game where I'm like, I, I don't even know what this is. So um, I know that's not how you meant it, by the way. I just, yeah, just wanted to say. Uh, Patrick Greenwell has the NES high def mod. So the high def NES and the real Phoenix mod looks like a good addition. Do I know if it would be compatible? Um, I think so, but obviously the RGB part of it wouldn't be compatible and you would still have to find a way to get HDMI out. So if you wanted the no cut mod, I think Greg laser bear worked on something like that. I think what might be a better solution for you is something like Bordy's open source IO board that just has the power recreated on it. If you are interested in that, but um, the real Phoenix, which I think still might be in the chat. Maybe they could jump in. Uh, the importer. Thank you so much for the super chat. I was, you know, I really, really appreciate those. Sometimes when I'm going a million miles an hour on these live streams, I only get a chance to do a quick thank you, but you know, definitely thank you. Honestly, uh, congrats on your 200th Q and a thanks. 
Uh, quick question. They broke the pin plug on their Kuro VGA box this week. Think I could find a replacement in a local store. So if you're talking about the JTAG style pin on there, no, but you could easily find those on any of the electronics websites. Maybe you could find it if you have a really good electronics store locally, but I think that's something that you should be able to just um, desolder and kind of go from there. Um, Kim Caro, sorry if I'm not saying that right. Are all the Chinese EverDrive or Chinese produced EverDrive-like devices clones, or did Cricks partner with Chinese distributors on certain legacy designs? I think I I can't remember, but I think at one point Cricks said, um, you know, here's this version, you could have it just to try and prevent cloning of the other ones. But it's not excuse me, I'm gonna finish my disgusting Scarlet here. It's not that um, they're clones or, or not. It's the quality. So here's the example. And uh, so the SD to SNES, now known as the FX Pack Pro, that was an open source design. Still is, but originally Akari had posted all of the files and it was made in a cheap clone factory. And I bought that one to test and I bought one directly from Cricks back in the day. And there is a huge difference between the two. Um, and, you know, the reliability, uh, the weird quirks that went wrong with it. So even if the ones that you might find on AliExpress are ones that Cricks said, yes, you could do this, you know, you don't have to call it a clone. I'm allowing you to do it. I still wouldn't really trust it. Now, of course, I have to make sure that I'm clear about my terminology here. Everything on AliExpress is not junk. There's a lot of great stuff. It's like saying everything on eBay is junk. Of course not. It depends on who the seller is, and it depends on what the product is and how the product is made. And of course, you know, I'm trying to make sure I'm always clear about the terms Chinese clones because nerds know exactly what we mean when we say that, but non-nerds hear that, and it sounds like a very negative connotation towards a, a billion people, and that's not what we mean at all. It's funny, too, because... A lot of my friends are Chinese, and if I say that to them, they don't even blink. They know exactly what I'm referring to. It's usually people outside of the tech world. So I just want to always make that distinction of when we say things like Chinese clones, we're talking about, you know, it's like if I said American rednecks. Not all Americans are rednecks, and not all rednecks are bad, but we all kind of know what I'm talking about. Anybody who's hung out, I'm stepping on my own words here, so let me move on to the next one. Um... Stringer Films, thank you very, very much. Another super chat, much appreciated. If possible, how do you RGB mod a CRT and the directly con and directly connect to a CGA arcade PCB without using converters? So, two questions there. How do you RGB mod a CRT? Could be done three different ways. Um, you could go three or four different ways. You could go through the jungle chip, which is the on-screen display chip. I have no idea why it's called a jungle chip, by the way. It just, it always is in all the spec sheets. Um, and that replaces the on-screen display with your signal, which is RGB. You can go directly to the neck board and there might be a new mod coming out with that. That's very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Totally cool if you do. Uh, you could try to replace an arcade's circuit with it, so you could have an arcade chassis with RGB inputs going to a compatible CRT and neckboard. Same thing, if you know how to wire all that, it's perfectly safe. If you don't know how to wire all that, 
you could die. <laughs> so I always don't want to pull back from that. You know, working on CRTs comes with a level of danger. Whereas unless you're a total moron and mod your Super Nintendo in a bathtub with it plugged in, holding a lightning rod out your window while there's a rainstorm going on, you're not going to have a problem with your Super Nintendo. So that that's the first part. But if you're if you're talking specifically about how to use a CGA arcade PCB into an RGB modded CRT, you're going to want to check refresh rate, uh, colors, um, the sync signal. There, there's a lot more into it, so you might have to use converters. So what signal are you sending it? You know, what's the frequency? And, and that's something that an arcade expert, and more importantly, an arcade expert who knows exactly what type of arcade PCBs you're talking about would have to answer. So everything's possible. You could totally find a combination of things that do what you need, but depending on what you're using, you might have to use some kind of converters. If I got that wrong, uh, re-ask. I'll be, I'm checking the chat for a little while longer here. Um, what else we got? Uh, Paisley boxers. Manhattan is sitting entirely on top of quartz. There's a whole thing about why New York City has energy. I don't know if I believe that crystal stuff, to be honest with you. And I got an open mind. I'm not, you know, I, I want to believe so badly. Like I took that, I want to believe Mulder poster and put like, I want to believe as long as there's proof underneath it. That's totally me. I want to believe in all that stuff, but I, I don't think I've ever, I've ever seen a crystal give anybody energy before, but Hey, I could be wrong. I have an aunt that's like a, you know, parapsychology specialist who, who's talked a lot about that stuff and I, I i've never had the same experience she has but i'd like to um oh i just uh hold on i'm scrolling and i missed something uh sorry let me let me catch back up here uh, eric hurley if i were to start again with retro consoles uh, and not including equipment for videos, when I get a mister and call it a day for regular playing, could it be a complete replacement? So if I were to start now and I were to jump on retro RGB and read all of these awesome contributors articles and listen to the podcast and make my decision, I think I'd be at the same place that I'm at now in that my favorite consoles I'm always going to want. Because that, for me, is the, nostal the nostalgia part of it. The console, the plugging in the cartridge, picking up the cartridge with the artwork from my favorite games on it. Like, that is, is such a huge, amazing experience in itself. And for me, it's nostalgia. But for younger people that I've, I've uh, you know, relatives, friends and family and stuff, to them, it's just as interesting, just from a totally different perspective. Like, oh, look at this game art. Like, oh, this kind of looks like a, a book. Oh, there's a book in here. Why did your games come with books? Like, you know, there's that factor of it that's very important to me. But as far as playability goes, I think right now I mostly use my Mr. The Rare Moment I Have Time to Game. And the consoles are for when I either am testing or want to do the, any like, the, the real nostalgia experience. So, uh, you know... If friends and family come over that used to do this stuff with me back in the day, we're using the original console. I might show them the Mister anyway, just because they'll probably fascinated with it and buy their own. Um, my friend brought her kid over the other day, who was like ten, and uh, I powered on the thirty-six inch CRT, and he jumped back because he'd never heard that sound before. And like, I had to. Yeah, here's the Duck Hunt cartridge. Here's the NES. You know, here's the Zapper. Like, I I really wanted that to be part of the experience, so I would do both. But gaming, I would mostly just be doing on Mister because of uh, convenience. You don't have to worry about RGB mods, interference, cap replacements, 
Uh, I'd still open up all the consoles to make sure they weren't leaking, though. Uh, Sterling, is there a big difference or any between the FM sound on a Japanese SMS and an American SMS with the SM FM sound mod installed? It's different. Um, I don't know how big a difference it is. I have a, a comparison video on the channel long before MD4EA came out and long before I started really nailing down my audio setup. So you're going to have to take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, there is a difference. But when, when it comes to analog audio like that, I also imagine I could lay out 20 MK2000s, record 20 samples, and get 20 slightly different experiences based on age of the console and cables and all that stuff. So, yeah, um, there is a difference, but I don't think it's enough to say one is better than the other. I think it's totally up to you. Um, let me see. What else we got here? Kim Caro, I just said, I just saw you said your question skipped. Uh, oh, no, there we go. Okay, I was going to say, I thought I thought I answered yours. Um, Neo Vlad, uh, Avram made a great Neo Geo Open MVS. Hey, I think I've heard of that one. Uh, do you need to do the DFO or can your scaler adjust to the refresh rate? If you're using the RetroTink 5X, just let that do its work and you don't have to worry about anything. If you're using the OSSC or anything else, you might need to do the oscillator mod to it, but that's really going to be up to you. Um, for me personally, I use my stuff either. 99% uh, of the time I use it on CRTs. Sometimes I, I game on flat panels, but it's usually for testing into like, all right, let's experience this new scanline filter. Let's, let's test this new scaler or whatever else. Uh, and that's really the only other time I would run into that. Some people said they do have issues line doubling into a VGA monitor. I've only done that a few times with Neo Geo and I haven't. So I think I would let your scaler uh, dictate whether you need that or not. Um, Adam, Adam, man, have a super chat. Thanks for all the answered questions. Thank you, Adam. Much appreciated. Uh... Does anyone else kind of want to try that disgusting soda just to see for themselves? You kind of have to, because it's one of these where it's not like, it's not like drinking a bottle of poop or anything. It's just not, I mean, it's, it, it this is the zero sugar version, but it smells and tastes like there's a bucket of sugar in here, which probably means I'm getting cancer as we speak from whatever they freaking replaced it with. But, but yeah, it's keeping my throat wet and it's uh, giving me some caffeine. <laughs> Chris Fratt. Thank you for the super chat. Use this to buy a better soda next time. That's pretty funny. Um, are you still planning on reviewing the analog pocket? You mentioned one uh, having one pass through you on a way to a friend. Well, here is the sealed box that it's been in since I've received it. So, uh, yeah, I absolutely still plan on playing it on a live stream. I keep meaning to reach out to Kev to say hi and just bug him with a few questions. I just, time has really been the biggest issue I've had lately. Um, there's just not enough hours in the day. And I, I, I try to put everything in order. So, you know, the, the Wednesday podcast gets first priority always, which means I got to make sure all of the articles are up to snuff for that and everything that goes through it. Then these are always my second priority because I always want to show all of the supporters as much love as I possibly can. 
the interviews have become my third because it's just it's it's one of if not my favorite parts of doing retro rgb is being able to introduce amazing people to the rest of the retro gaming world and that doesn't matter if it's somebody who maybe no one would have known about but now they're like oh here's a cool person or if it's somebody that we've all known about for years but they've never been on camera before or something so excuse me all of those get priority and then kind of like mental health comes after that sometimes I gotta just, you know, once I've hit like 14 hours, I uh, I gotta just sit and watch TV and not do anything or my brain will explode or something. So yeah, I still plan on trying to do all of that, but I think uh, uh, everybody else really kind of comes first and there's already so many really good reviews. So it would be a live stream because I don't, you know, I'm trying to get to the point where if I do a fancy video, it's because I want to try to add something that either no one else has done or I really feel like my spin on it would make a difference and not just like, hey, here's one of 35 analog pocket reviews. It's not going to be nearly as good as the rest, but watch it anyway. Like, eh. Live streams are fun, though, because we get to hang out with awesome people like you. All right. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Um, <laughs> Monty slowly steps out of tub holding a CRT. That's funny. Uh, can you RGB mod a black and white CRT TV? That's pretty funny. Um, I, I would love to try to figure out exactly how that works because I've never taken apart a black and white TV, but I wonder if you could improve the quality of a black and white TV. Uh, Stringer Films, I rebuild CGA chassis. I want to use a TV chassis. So then you're definitely going to have to just look up the exact specs of each and make sure everything matches. Um, now this is definitely getting over my head and you might know more than me at this point, but all CRTs work in basically the same way. Go back and listen to the interview with um, uh, Thomas. I think that would probably be a really great way to, to kind of visualize how a lot of this stuff works because I did that interview with Kurt from Dotronics and Pat, the BVM tech, and they were great, and I loved those interviews, but for whatever reason, at least to my brain, when Thomas explained it, I had a much better grasp. And the way he tied things together might kind of help shed light on what you could connect things to and why. But you're definitely getting past my level of expertise here. Um, what's the most frustrating mod you've done? All of them! No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, there's, the most frustrating mods... Are the ones that stop working exactly when I need them. And that's not your question, but it's the honest truth in that, you know, I've done a bunch of mods where I just couldn't get it right. So I left it on a shelf. I came back a week later, took a deep breath and I nailed it. Uh, usually with, you know, lots of swearing involved, lots of bitching and moaning to Jose, you know, could you help me? I don't know what I'm doing, you know, uh, but the mods that I've done usually always swing around to being fine. And, uh, or it's something that I know is so far out of my skill level that I don't want to spend all of the time to work up to that just to do one. But in all honesty, the most frustrating mods are the stuff where it's like, I did this mod, it came out fine, I showed pictures to all of my friends who I know will not, or, you know, not yes men, like, they'll tell me, like, no, this is half a percent off, fix it or you're going to look like an asshole, like... And then everything's working. And every time I grab it off my shelf, I use it. And then I go to shoot a video and I'm like, all right, there's like three hours left before I'm going to go do something else. Let me just plug this in. It's only going to take a minute because this is my trusted, reliable, and it doesn't work anymore. And you take it all apart and there's no rhyme or reason for it not working. And that happens to me all the time. And I think the reason is because 
I'm always beating stuff up. It's always prototypes that were meant to just be used for testing. And then, you know, you put the production one in. It was stuff where, like, you know, you're digging in deep, doing a million things at once. So it's, you're treating the equipment not as good as you would if it was like, hey, this is a mod board that I'm going to install into my console and use. So, yeah, that's that's definitely the honest, honest answer for that one. Um... Sterling, doesn't the comparison video just show the external stuff? There might be more than one, or I might have forgotten. Um, there were many videos I've started over the years that I never finished and thought I did. And the opposite, too. There's been a few times where I, I searched for something. Like, hey, I wonder if anybody ever did this. And there's a 20-minute video for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, let's see what else we got. Chris Jenkins said that this Starlight is supposed to be marshmallow flavor. That explains a lot. Um, sorry, I'm just scrolling through the chat here. Take a moment. Grab yourself a coffee or a water or a beer, whatever's your poison. Let's see what else we got. Um, all right. So it looks like we're getting to the end. Uh, I've caught up to all of them. There's one or two more. Um, uh, there's one or two more uh, questions here that I haven't gotten to. So I'll definitely say that I'm going to be winding it down in a sec. Uh, but any other questions that pop up, I will answer. I just want to give everybody fair warning. Um, so let me see. Uh, Morubo. One thing was bothering them for some time. Can the batteries inside game carts leak out? Should I check all my carts from time to time? Or maybe it's recommended to just replace all of them. So I I would say that you should absolutely check your favorite games immediately just in case. Because it's your favorite game. Maybe it's a rare and expensive game. And if it looks fine, then I would let your backup uh, like or your uh, save game determine that. So if the battery looks fine and it's a game that, you know, you, you don't really have an important save game on there or you don't care because you beat it every year or whatever, then I really wouldn't worry. Um, if it's a game that you know is old and you want to replace your save game file and back that up, uh, I was able to get one of these awesome things. Tito did the video on it. I actually haven't even used it yet. Somebody was nice enough to build it and sell it to me, but it's right here in front of my computer. So it's always reminding me that I'm a freaking workaholic that didn't find time to do the thing that I said I was going to do, but back up your saves, check to see all of the batteries to see if they're leaking. And I would only replace them if you want to make sure that the save uh, stays um, or if it already died. And the other thing to remember too, is as soon as you take the battery out, then you lose the save game immediately and don't do anything like, you know, in theory, <coughs> It would make sense to say, okay, I'm going to power the cartridge via the cartridge pins and replace the battery while it's on so I don't lose the save. I wouldn't do that. I've heard a couple of people talk about doing that, and I don't I don't think that's the best way to go about doing this. Um, any experts out there want to have any thoughts on that? I, I would just kind of figure out how to back up your save games if you care for them and then see if they're leaking. But I would check because I don't think I've seen too many pictures of leaking batteries and cartridges, but I have seen them in arcade boards. Jose posted a picture a couple weeks ago that was nuts. Like, uh, Danielle, the girl geek, would pro was probably, like, I imagine her dropping to her knees like, I fucking told you! Like, <laughs> I I've definitely seen that um, ruin things before. So, worth checking. 
but unless they're leaking, I would only replace them if you know you wanted to save your game or if it was something that was important to you. PS3 Inquisition. I really need a SCART switch, and the G-SCART is unavailable anymore. Do you think the Shiny Bow switch will be decent? I owned it, and I thought it was great. I had no complaints. Um, and I had a few people say they had issues with theirs, but supposedly it was one model from, you know, a couple of years ago, but I don't think there's been, I don't think there's any issue with those at all. Shiny Bow is generally a good company. Um, they're not cheap, but they're not super expensive either. So that should be fine. Um, let's see what else we got. Dave Bennett recently set up a mister and they're experiencing lag through HDMI. They time sleuth their TV with less than one frame of lag. Is it reasonable to think I should experience CRT-like response? Two answers for you, Dave. First, check your INI file. There are settings in there that have a buffer, um, a buffer select. And what I like to do, I actually like to do two things. Shoutouts to Risha for teaching me this. You could add a bit of code in the Mr. INI file that says your menu will always run at, let's just say, 1080p with the most amount of lag, meaning all of the buffering you could need, which pretty much guarantees that anything that accepts 1080p, your Mr. will always boot, period. And then I have it set so all of the cores launch with the lowest amount of latency with all of the buffering turned off. And I have seen displays where, like, I'll load up the, you know, I'll load up a Genesis core and it works, but I load up the Super Nintendo core and it doesn't. And that means, okay, this HDMI display isn't compatible with these weird signals. So I either have to use a different display or add a buffer to it. But that's how I like to do it. Now, you don't have to do the menu thing. You could just very simply change the buffering and see what happens. You should still be able to load the menu no matter what. But that's just kind of like my, my little bit of protection in there. And it's also cool too. So Maybe you want to set the menu to 480p so that you could have compatibility with every single display out there. And I don't know, it's up to you. I, I do really like that trick, but all you really should do is dig into the INI settings and change the latency on there to see what happens. And you should be able to have a pretty good experience. Now, is it reasonable to think that you should experience CRT-like response? No, because... I've tested computer monitors that show up at two and a half milliseconds of latency, which in the context of gamers, you know, your hands on a controller, that is zero, zero, two and a half milliseconds, not frames, milliseconds is zero when it comes to gaming, but it wasn't the same because you still have the LCD panel lighting up and getting dark again, and it can't quite do that in a way that mimics a CRT. And uh, so... As far as overall latency goes, it's not quite the same response, but I definitely, I mean, as far as lag goes, I would say that, you know, that's a zero lag setup and, you know, pro Tetris players do that all the time now. And Tetris is a great example because NES Tetris is one of the most sensitive games for latency. So that, you know, that's a pretty good test, but it's not quite the same response and your eyes might perceive it differently depend on, you know, on what displays you're used to. So, uh, I would definitely just mess with the latency settings on Mr. But I think in the context of your question, yes, you should be able to be able to play your game without really adjusting from how you play it on the CRT. Um, uh, Jason Piate, shout out from Mexico City to everyone in the chat, for, uh, originally from Canada. I I absolutely love how there's people from all over the planet that I get to converse with daily. Uh, that always makes me happy. I think one thing, when people 
like I was a little poor kid that never went anywhere. And then all of a sudden I got this job and they're like, all right, make sure you get a passport. You know, you'll be in Taiwan in three weeks. And it's like, and I get to travel around the planet and I loved it so much. And the one thing that I definitely noticed is every, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's unique. Every culture is unique, but we're all the fucking same in the most wonderful way. So uh, I love to hear from people around the planet that have the same, you know, interest in stories that I do basically. Um, Castlemania games noticed eight ohm cabs sound better than 12 or 16 with the same head. Is there a reason why lower ohms sound better or different? I refuse to answer this question in fear of audiophiles coming after me because they all have their own very specific reasons for saying these things. Um, and the only thing I can say, all, all kidding aside, is that when you pick speakers, cabinets, amps, you need to match everything up. And it's the combination of stuff that's very important. I'm going through this now because I have an NAD receiver with some Ascend Acoustic speakers that are amazing. The entire thing, it's two two really good speakers and an amp under a grand delivered. And it's so much better than my stereo upstairs, which has a bunch of ELAC speakers, 5.1. And ELACs are awesome. So the issue is I have a piece of shit base model Denon because when I lived in the city, why would I need anything else? So now I'm, I'm in that mindset of I need to look for an amp I'm trying to go through and uh, a couple people suggested some YouTube reviewers and I think we stumbled across the um play the fucking game version of audio of audio reviewers and uh it's really hard to figure out who to trust and why but figuring out what matches is what's important because you necessarily don't need something with specific specs as long as everything matches up I'm intentionally being vague about this because I'm my, I had to step quite a far ways back from the audiophile world because when I worked maybe late 2000s, I would go to all of these home automation shows with the company that I worked for because we built these computers that were medical grade but were also integrated in a lot of very high-end home theater setups like the type of home theaters where, or home automation where installation charge is 100 grand, not including hardware. So I got to go to all of these things and I got to be invited into these demo rooms where I got to hear $100,000 a piece speakers. And after that, I just decided like, I got to like, I think I'm going to listen to music on my iPhone speaker for a month just to like clear that out of my brain because you can't really go back to no to normal speakers right away. So I've stepped away from the audiophile world. And now that I'm coming back, what a combo. Ascend Acoustics and NAD. I'm going to have... Uh, I'll, I'll leave links for anybody that wants it, but holy crap. And they're magnetically shielded. I'm trying to get the, um, the person who created them on for a podcast, but uh, I don't think they like podcasts. So we'll see. Um, Adam, Adam Ant wants to know if there's an online source for save games. They're scattered across many places, but that's something I would eventually love to see on the wiki. And I don't think that could be something that's like dmca or you know any kind of nintendo suing you for because you, unless you tried to sell them which obviously the wiki wouldn't sell anything but i think that's one of those things where you would have to purchase the game or get the game one way or the other anyway kind of like rom hacks so i think that would be legal and i'd love to see that but i don't know of one repository but i think that would be super helpful for a million reasons. How many creators need to take a shot of a scene and you got to play up to that point, whereas you could have just had a save game? How many people's batteries died? And you're like, all right, well, I was about halfway through. Let me grab somebody else's save game. So, yeah, that would be important. Uh, okay. 
Bobby Broadway, extreme arcade guns track perfect up and down, but have right to left drift. They're using a converter board on a TV. Um, they're using a converter board on a TV I put in for monitor. Could that be it? I don't, I've never used extreme hunting arcade guns, so you would have to check into whether it uses the sensor or whether it uses uh, some kind of digital tracking on the TV. Try turning the brightness up and down on your TV, and if that helps, it's the TV. If it doesn't, it could be the sensor, but all of those are wild guesses. I don't know anything about those. I'm just, you know, just trying to help based on experience here. I'm just looking in the, I'm just looking in the camera now. I got all this fuzz shit all over me. My washing machine does this now. Anybody a washing machine repair tech? <laughs> I take a black piece of clothing, which is all my clothes out, and it's, you know, it looks like I wore it for a week, even though it's perfectly clean. I wonder what else I get on me. I did one one of these podcasts where I had, like, a piece of fuzz stuck to the side of my head for the first four sections. I didn't even realize it, and I kind of, like, did one of these, and I was waiting for people to make fun of me for it, but I don't know if anybody else caught it. Anyway. Um, hey, Gabriel Pyron. Hello. Hello, my friend. Good to see you. All right. Uh, Sir Chicken, greetings from Germany. Hello. Uh, is there a region-free mod for the NES Famicom top loader like for the SNES? I believe so, but you're going to want to do some digging because i never really done region mods, and I really don't know anything about PAL consoles other than whatever testing I've kind of had to jump into. So I would really defer to experts for that. Look at Nestev, look at any of the normal repair shops, check the social media accounts of modders that are out there that people talk about. Um, Felipe Osa, thank you for being nice to all of us. I try to, Felipe. I really do. Sometimes I'm an asshole, but I, I really feel like it's deserved when I am. But uh, but people like you who ask nice questions, I try to never, ever be anything other than super polite to because I really appreciate it, as I appreciate your super chat. Thank you very much. Um, care to share some announcements on the future of retro RGB? I actually just did a podcast where I went in deep on this and to the point where I'm really uncomfortable <laughs> Like, I, I'm usually, like, a loud mouth. I, I am every stereotypical American that I hate stereotypes, but I guess I am. I'm just a loud blowhard. I don't really care what, what information is about me, you know. I drink terrible soda and play guitar. Like, I have nothing to hide. But this is one of those weird things where it's like, I put it all out there on this podcast with Lewis. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure when that's going to air, but I talk a lot about what I'm trying to do with Retro RGB. So, um you know, in interest of your question, because I don't want to blow off your question, I'll just say that I'm trying to really push the point that Retro RGB is not Bob. Retro RGB is a group of amazing people who have always been part of this, helping grow the retro gaming community, sharing their knowledge, sharing their products. And it just has been funneled through me because I've just been the one doing it. So I'm trying to just keep pushing forward how to help other channels, how to do other partnerships, and really how to make it grow so much bigger without me all while still trying to figure out a way to pay my bills because that's a very selfish but very uh you know needful thing is i, I can't I, you can't just do volunteer work all day as much as you'd like to i guess so thank you very much for the super chat but if you want all the details there should be a podcast coming up uh it started out a little boring 100 percent my fault um lewis said he liked that boring section uh, maybe I'll ask him to cut it out. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Or maybe I'll just put it all out there just for truth. But I don't, I just don't want to like fire up the, uh, 
the analytics a week later and, and see everybody drop off right after I got boring for five minutes and missed the following hour of really interesting conversation. So um, if you have anything specific, please re-ask um, and I'll be paying attention to the chat. But yeah, there, hopefully a lot of big things are coming. And once again, thank you for the super chat. Uh, let's see. Timothy Sullivan, isn't it crazy that something that started out as a hobby for you has turned into all of this? Yeah, it's nuts um, to the point where it's it's hard to describe to people what exactly I do, especially people that knew when I started out, like just, you know, when Retro RGB started out, it was a Google Doc that I thought a handful of friends might like. I didn't really think it was something people would care about. So yeah, it's kind of, um, it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, and it's it's also really good to see everybody else that I, I was fans with grow in this as well. So mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the dryer, lots of dryer sheets and use liquid detergent, not powder. I've tried all that. I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure the washer's broke. I'm going to have to do um, a couple more whatnot streams <laughs> to sell some stuff to pay for a new washer. And Hey, while I'm still reading the, the chat, let me ask anybody who, who feels like answering, what do you think of the whatnot streams? Would you prefer I do something like this, but just list stuff on eBay? Did you enjoy being on whatnot? Is it stupid? Is it not stupid? Um, That's really important to me that I'm hanging out where you all want to hang out because it's, it's no fun without you. So, you know, any thoughts? I'm I'm all ears on that one. I know a lot of people just don't want to have to, first of all, a lot of people don't want to have to deal with an app because a lot of the features don't work in the web browser. And a lot of people don't want to go on a totally different platform. So if I did like, a live stream of me listing an item on eBay and then had it on eBay, everybody's got an eBay account. So I don't know. I'm just kind of curious on your opinions. <clears throat> Master Safer is making custom cables for a weird purpose in their setup and they were recommended in LM1881. What kind of things can I do with it? Uh, don't use it. Um, I mean that respectfully, but unless you absolutely know why you need a sink stripper and why you have to use it, it's just going to add one more thing that could go wrong to your setup. And if you don't set it up right, you could be sending too high voltage to your target device. That said, if you have an Extron Crosspoint and you have a PlayStation 1 with an RGB cable, you're going to have to use it. But then I would go to the cable manufacturers and buy one pre-made because um, when I first started Retro RGB, sync strippers were a way, were a band-aid to fix things, to just make it work because we didn't truly understand what was going on. And then as more people got involved and more people took the time to do full analysis of all of these signals, we started to realize the other passive components that you use to shape these signals, then you don't need any of this stuff. So uh, yeah, I would just wouldn't use it at all unless you absolutely needed it. But if you do need it, it removes composite video and Luma and leaves you just sync. And I believe it can convert rgbs to rgbhv or vice versa but it's a very handy chip that you don't really need anymore unless you have some very specific scenarios um daniel black said all you need to do is disable the lockout chip the sir chicken who was looking for the region free top loader yeah that's for the region but what about speed and all of that stuff running ntsc at pal and all of that i just wanted to bring that back up um uh master safer again it was cool seeing you in tito's video yeah what an awesome dude really like him um was happy to help um you know a lot of 
a lot of people get like, what do you mean you have a suggestion for my video? And Tito's the opposite. Tito is just like, like, hell yeah, let's test some shit. Let's see what happens. So yeah, it's, um, I'm happy to see his channel grow. That's somebody that deserves it. Um, let's see. Um, Orba90 said uh, a bunch of very nice things and said this is the first live show they've seen and wanted to thank me. Yeah, do you, do you all want me to do this? Like, maybe this is how I do Q&As every now and then just for fun because I don't know about anybody watching, but I'm having a hell of a lot of fun doing it. I don't know how people listening on audio-only podcast when this goes up in a you know an hour or so are going to appreciate a two-hour-long Q&A ramble, but... Uh, you know, I'm absolutely all ears for whatever you all want to do, and uh, I'll try my best. But thank you very much for the kind words. Uh, Viniscus Phonacia. I am so sorry. I just probably brutalized your name. My uh, my apologies. Is there any project to reverse engineer or test for a working substitute for the SW RAM chips in SNES boards? Cheers from the south of Brazil. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the super chat. I freaking love Brazil. Hopefully I might I might allegedly be visiting there soon. We'll find out more soon. But no, I don't know if anybody's found a working substitute for that. That is a great question. And that is a problem that when I started Retro RGB, I'd hear about once a year, if that. And now I'm starting to hear about it every couple of months. So it's obviously chips that are going to start to be dying, start to be dying, start to die soon. Uh, and I don't know of a good answer to that, but I hope people are looking into it. So, um, you know, thank you again for the super chat, but I don't really have a solid answer. Clint, is it the water maybe? Do you need a water softener? Man, that's a good question. Somebody told me it was that I need to let my washer fill all the way up with water and then stop it and then put the liquid detergent in, mix it up and then restart it. Who has time for that? Like I would, like the whole point of having a washer is that you throw some shit in and walk away. Otherwise, like, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if that's the problem. You might be right. It could be. I need a water softener. Uh, but yeah, I might have to. I might have to just end up getting a new one. Or maybe I do the thing where I take it all apart and I see if I could find something wrong with it, and then I either try to fix it and see what happens, or I end up breaking it as it's apart, which is now my excuse to go get another one. I don't mind that. I have no ego when it comes to that stuff. I would just want to do it live on camera with Voltar and Jose taking turns making fun of me as I did it. Then I would totally love to do that. Um, uh, another one from uh, Master Safer. Uh, this was awesome. Thanks for the edutainment. Whatnots are always fun, even if they only caught one live so far. Thank you for the feedback, and also thank you for the super chat. Very much appreciated. Um, Chris is heading out. Thanks for stopping by, Chris. Retrotech. Ah, Steve. What's your favorite CRT this week? Anyone in particular keeping your attention more than the others at the moment? Sorry, just had to ask a CRT question. Um interesting enough that you say that i did an experiment the other day where i watched a movie on uh the 36 inch d series jvc that uh, you did for me on the 32 inch bvm uh, d32 <coughs> and on the projector which is right above it it was specifically a vhs tape of an old movie that was very low quality so there was no really good quality dvd or blu-ray alternative to it and I liked the 36 inch best because 
The projector and the D32 were so good that you still saw a lot of the noise and interference on screen, whereas just a giant-ass consumer-grade CRT, it just felt like you were watching a bad-quality CRT, even though that was a very good-quality CRT. So this week, that's my favorite. Definitely, 100%. Um, you know, the D32 would always be my holy grail go-to. Probably never going to, you know, they'll bury me with that sucker. I'm kidding. I'll give it to a museum. But metaphorically, they'll bury me with that sucker. But this week, um, the D36 that you did for me is up there. I just got to figure out how to fix that scratch in the glass. Because when uh, I, I legit... Uh, so Steve, I'm not doxing him here. Steve has a driveway so that's very sharp. Now everybody's going to go on and look for sharp driveways to dox Steve. But <laughs> So I went down and I was so careful because I was like, okay, I don't want to bounce this big TV around. I went around that corner all nice and slow. I was like, all right, great. And then I turned into a parking lot uh, on the main strip to get gas and some breakfast before I went. And the lightest, you know, no pressure turn the CRT rolled right over onto the glass, and I think I put a, a scratch in it. So I got to figure out how to buff that out. Um, I, there was a few things over the years that I've seen people do to like use electric buffers, but yeah, that that one's great. I just got to fix the glass, and uh, you know, and kind of hope hope I could totally get rid of that. Um... see what else we got <laughs> castlemania games try the afresh machine cleaner i afreshed the fuck out of this thing brian i did i did it like three times in a row just to get all this crap out there you know i i tried to fill it up with water which uh, a bunch of people said it does not work so so yeah I'm, I'm trying um gabriel pyron uh pyron's lair please check him out on patreon by the way he's doing such amazing work but uh question from him do i think that the retro tink 5x is going to be the upscaler that rules in the next years or the ossc pro or the morph going to be a nice contender uh, most people are looking to buy one of these so i have a very mixed answer in this first and foremost the tink 5x if you buy it now Unless something that I've no knowledge of comes up out of nowhere, a year from now, two years from now, you're still going to love it. There's absolutely nothing that that's going to come out that makes that crappy. Like the best example, if the only option you had seven, eight years ago was that SCART to HDMI device and the Tink 5X comes out, throw that other thing in the garbage. There's nothing that's going to do that to the Tink 5X in the near future. However, the OSSC Pro might be something that's a little bit better for people using retro computers. And that's something um, Mike Chi talks openly about. There's no, no shit talking going on here. Um, and it might have some differences for analog video upscaling that, depending on your setup, might be something that, you know, it's more of like a, a pro audio gear versus like, you know, standard consumer audio type of thing. I think that's the better way to visualize it. So some people would absolutely pre uh, prefer that. <clears throat> the morph, I think its options are going to be something that would draw people, but respectfully, you know, great team, you know, great team of people, great product coming up, but the HDMI input, I think is going to be the big deal with that one. So everybody who has any kind of console from the HDMI era up, or even older consoles that are HDMI modded, now you'll be able to run that through in a true digital setup. And you can still do that with the Tink 5X now. You just need a digital to analog converter and run it through the component video inputs. Um, but I just wanted to put all that out there for people to understand, like, what's now, what's coming. Um, and like I was saying at the beginning of this, um, 
you know, if you're looking for something today, get the Tink. I think it's in stock. It'll do everything you need it to do, unless you're a retro computer lover. The OSSE might still be a better choice for that. But when the Morph comes out, that's going to be an amazing tool that um, some people might prefer one, some people might prefer the other. And the OSSE Pro is delayed a little bit, but when that eventually does come out, um, I think it's almost good that it's delayed because Marcus could kind of sit back and go, okay, where could I help for things that the other two don't really nail? Um, which is great, too, because it means they're not really competition. They're just different ways to do different things. So good question. Adam, ever considered becoming a reseller for products that you've personally tested and believe in? Pros and cons of that. So here, something happened years ago that really made me draw my line in the sand. I was selling those RGB boards that were uh, generic Nintendo. So you could use them Super Nintendo, N64. Um, they, they work fine. If you have one of those, they're still totally fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with those at all, unless you installed it wrong, but that's not on me. Then I got to be friends with a, a crazy Kentuckian named Voltar. And I'm talking to him one day, and my stock was running low, and he came up with an idea for how to do it a little differently and include sync. And it really hit me, like, his is better. And then, of course, you know, Bordy came out with a new one, everything else. But here I am with a friend, and I know that their product is better than mine, and I'm running low on stock. So that's when I just decided I'm going to sell off the rest of what I got, which oddly timed perfect. I think I sold off, was out of stock for like three weeks, and then Voltar, Voltar shipment came in. It wasn't even intentional. It just kind of was perfect. And now I was able to promote the better one. So I don't ever want to have to be put in a place where I'm like, I just spent 10 grand to put stock of this stuff on my shelves. And now somebody else came out with a better one. What do I do? Right? I, I would never lie. I'd rather quit than lie. So I don't ever want to put myself in that position. So while finding any ways to up my income would be very nice. Um, so I don't have to bitch and moan about a washer on a live stream. Uh, that's that's a hard line in the sand for me. Now, uh, if you would like to buy retro RGB merch from the Teespring store, you know, and, and mugs and stuff like that, you know, nobody's brand new scaler is going to affect my, you know, my decision on wearing a retro RGB shirt. So that that stuff, shilling merch, 100%. I have no shame in that. And this is actually really comfy. I wouldn't wear it if it wasn't. But And it even does a good job battling against shitty washers. <laughs> But no, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to be ever selling anything like that because I just don't want to be put in that position. And I do think affiliate codes are a really great way to supplement that, um, because then it takes all the pressure off of me and puts it on people like Ryan from Castlemania Games. Uh, but you know, all kidding aside, that's a really great way for me to be able to contribute to my washer fund while while still being completely unbiased and fair. And you know, I do. I'm human. I do have biases, but my bias is like. You know, somebody comes out with a brand new thing that seems perfect, and it's equally as good but different to another thing that's been on the market for six years. I'm biased to the thing that's been out for six years, that has been tested and beat up and not failed, not because of any kind of affiliation with a friend or, or, or foe who makes it, whatever. It's just time is really a big thing for me that... um that's my bias really is time things that have really stood the test of time customer service you know repairs longevity performance so that that's pretty much it wasn't your question but i wanted to throw that in there anyway um 
Vinicius. Oh, man. Vinicius. I'm trying so hard, my friend, I swear. Uh, see, you know, I tried to learn Mandarin Chinese when I, I almost moved out to Taiwan for a little while uh, back in the other job, and this is reminds me of that. I just can't pronounce shit. I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, what else we got? Um... Red Herring 32, when will you confess your secret love for a composite video? Um, you know, I, I did alter my opinion on that recently, thanks to Steve and that very awesome TV. I love the way composite video looks in most cases. And if you give me an original NES on like a 13-inch TV that's decent, especially like one of those old Commodore monitors, um, I think it's just such an amazing experience. Once you start to get as big as a 36-inch TV, then it really, a CRT TV, then you're in the same league as playing on a flat panel as you're not just scaling up the game, you're scaling up the interference that goes with it. So um, I do still like composite, and I do still think that if people are starting out or just want a CRT experience, like maybe you got your RGB mods all done and you're running through your RetroTINK 5X, but you still want to play a CRT now and then, Composite's amazing, but if you start to go to a giant-ass CRT like that, you're going to want to go to the sharper image. Um, you wanna, you're going to want to go to the sharper image. It just sounded like it was 1999. I was about to tell everybody to go buy an overpriced, repatched re piece of electronics. That's funny. Old people will laugh at that. Clint, we need a generic shell replacement for old TVs. The weight of the larger ones adds to the likelihood of the older brittle plastic being cracked. You are totally right. Um, I think that's something where there's the new neckboard mod coming out. Thomas's mod, I would hope, might be out next year. And once, once this starts to become something where we're really changing the insides, I totally agree. And there's people in the retro gaming scene right now that could help with this. I don't want to call anybody out. Sorry to put you on the spot, my friend, but Jonathan from Scanline City, I'm sure, could make good metal chassis. Obviously, shipping is going to be expensive, but I've seen his work. I have all the arcade boards over there. I think that would be really great. Um, I don't know about plastic because of the, exactly what you just said. You want If you're going to take the time to put these new boards in it, make something sturdy, you're probably going to want it you know, nice and hefty. So I, I do really hope that, that we could figure that out as well. And, you know, if we make it look really cool, that would be another thing because it, that's as a nerd functionality first, right? Like here's the best freaking example I could ever give you this guitar. I had rebuilt to play exactly the way I want it. The functionality of this thing is me. But that just makes it so much cooler for me. I don't even care if you all think I'm just a nerd that should, uh, you know, give up my old heavy metal habit. I don't really care. For me personally, from, you know, from here to here is function. And then once you get over here, that's just awesomeness. And I, I really think that we could do that with, with TV chassis as well. I think, um, and by the way, anybody listening audio only later, I just held up a ridiculous Rust in Peace edition flying fee guitar that I used to be very good at playing. But yeah, I think that... Um, uh, I think that somebody like Scanline City could make something that works, but also looks really freaking cool as well. <coughs> Retrotech reminded us that a metal chassis could ship in pieces, 
so yeah ask jonathan he's uh you know uh pretty responsive so and he's another one that's put up with my you know middle of the night crazy ideas so i'm sure he wouldn't mind um i'm sure he wouldn't mind fielding that one dc gotta see that album cover and album holds a special place in my heart uh so it looks like we're at the end of this so i'll end with a very cheesy story um when I was a little kid, you know, I loved music and I, I liked all of the parts. I never really realized my ears always went to the main rhythms in it. But of course, if you're a kid, unless you have musician parents, like you want to be the singer. And I remember loving Guns N' Roses and I always wanted to be a singer. And I, I could barely croak out background vocals today, by the way. And I remember seeing Slash in the November Rain video walk up onto the piano at the end. And I remember thinking, you know maybe I want to be a guitarist instead. I think I might want to be a guitarist. And then somebody passed me Rust in Peace, and I heard that opening riff, which I don't even remember if I could play. It's been like a year since I've tried. But I remember hearing that, and uh, it, it legit went from, I think I might want to play guitar, to I need to play guitar. Whatever this is, like, this is me, 100%. So... Yeah, that's uh, this will always hold a place in my heart. I've met Dave Mustaine too. He's exactly the person you would want. I don't even know if you could be able to hear this, but yeah, you probably couldn't hear any of that. I could almost pull it off. So whatever. <laughs> B plus for effort. Now nah, maybe I'm actually gonna take a moment after this and. Go play guitar while the audio version is rendering. But anyway, as always, thank you all so much for your support. Thank you for making Retro RGB something I could do full time. Um, it's, you know, it's been such a wild ride. I can't believe I've done 200 of these podcasts. Uh, it, it's just been so cool. And it's only you who allows me to do it. It's uh, so thank you all. You know, I always say support in any way, but just spreading the word is one of the best things you could do because i think more people that learn about this stuff the better you're not just helping me it's all the other creators i try to promote all the other people making stuff so i'm trying to get everybody awesome to grow with me and hopefully i could also grow my support service at the same time so you know thank you all very much i really appreciate all of this um check the links in the description for any ways to support if you want to tell your friends and uh, this will be up audio only fairly soon probably by the end of the day for for anybody who just caught the end and wants to go back and maybe i'll do this a couple of uh you know every couple of months or something this was a lot of fun but thank you very much and i will see you all again soon